Hello and welcome to episode eight of No Blueprint featuring JC Lynn Meyer. Jace, actually. And she is a public speaker, influencer, indigenous lead at Shopify. She is also an artist. Ladies and gentlemen, to everybody who's tuning in, welcome Jace Meyer. Thank you so much for having me on No Blueprint. Let's go. So excited. I remember when this was just an idea and now it's here. You're manifesting your dreams. You get to be part of it. I'm stoked for tonight. Yes. And, you know, I have to definitely give thanks to the creator for these moments in time, for all the synergies in place. You know, shout out to Kenny Starr for really enlightening me on, on synergy. I also want to, you know, acknowledge I'm, where I'm here on the traditional territory of the Algonquin people. So shout out to all of our Algonquin relatives. And I want to thank our guests because Jace Meyer is an incredible public speaker. Um, she's, you know, become a great friend of mine. I'm so grateful for you to be part of this. And I also want to thank our audience. You know, our audience to me is also just as important as our guest. Um, there's a lot of opportunity to tune in and, and learn a lot of uh, amazing stories from incredible people. So I just wanted to pay homage to, to all of the above. And before we get too deep into this, I wanted to kind of reflect on the first time that that we met was back at Hacking Health, right at Shopify. Right. And I was carrying this big camera, um, you know, and where I worked is a little bit of story behind the, the name of the camera is Black Magic. That's almost enough that. said. Do you know I what I'm saying? <laughs> So when I'm showing up to these places and my colleagues, it, it was always kind of an inside joke. So. And um, it was just cool because the minute that we realized that we're both from the same region, being in Winnipeg and Manitoba, um, we instantly connected. And there was also some crossover with, you know, your your husband and playing basketball. And we were talking about hoops for reconciliation. And then, you know, from there, Jace has been an incredible, um, you know, purse colleague I would say friend and we've like collaborated on different ideas and initiatives and because of her um, I was actually also be able to perform for the first time in the Shopify headquarters on National Aboriginal Day so you know Shopify is gaining a lot from your you know contributions Shopify would not be the same without Jace so I definitely wanted to say that and uh, that was the first time we met it was pretty cool that was three years ago. Three years. That was three years ago. It feels more like 30, which they say is the reality of working at Shopify every year is a 10x year. Mm -hmm. um, so it feels like 30 and it feels like I've known you forever. But I think that's just how it rolls is when you're brothers and sisters, there's just that connection. Um, that, yeah, I, I feel like I've known you for much longer than three years. Facts. It's, it's been great. Um, so... One of the first questions I wanted to ask you is really just to check in with you and see how you're doing through these COVID times. Well, thank you. It's, uh, I think it's, it's been such a mixed bag of emotions. Um, and I think I've experienced all of them. Um, it COVID, uh, impacted us very early cause I do so much traveling for work and internationally that, um, I got sick early on um, when I was in Mexico uh, learning about Mayan commerce um, that I was tuned into that information really early, but no one seemed to be talking about it. So it was very easy to feel crazy that you're worried about this sickness that no one else seems to be. Um, it so we ended up um, I ended up exposed um, without access to a test. Uh, so I didn't know if I had it or not, but I had some symptoms. So we we did the self-isolate thing very early on. Um, so it's been al almost 90 ish days for us. Um, you know, so that's three months of a completely different reality. It's so hard. Um, I'm so angry that I'm raising my daughter through a pandemic that could have been avoided, in my opinion, if we had have been thinking about seven generations as an entire society and acting as a, as a species uh, and sharing our knowledge about preventative measures. And even as we go through this, I don't understand why we're acting in such isolation and independently um, racing to compete um, for tests but not in a way that it's going to be conducive to all of us. So, but then there's these other moments that I'm like, okay, like this is a moment of 
profound healing, uh, that people are getting right with themselves about what is essential. And they're having that conversation with themselves, many it feels for the first time ever. Um, but it's awakening a movement. And I feel like it's creating space for, for a full on rise up revolution of change that will impact all of us. Um, and I see it in simple acts of people returning to the land and like learning how to backyard garden and putting out a pot on their patio and just like being intentional about getting that outdoor time as if it's healing and it's a medicine, you know? Um, and, and I see even myself, like I live in the third most conservative neighborhood in the country. Um, it's, it's been, we didn't know that when we moved in, we probably wouldn't have moved in there if we knew that, but, um, I see my neighbors meeting each other and introducing like, what is your name and where are you from? And where's your family from? And are you okay? And, and checking in on each other. I've met more of my neighbors through COVID than I have in the five years I've lived in my community. Um, that I see this like moment of healing happening. And I think it's exhausting people because healing is exhausting work. It requires a lot of sleep. I don't know if we're all doing that well, but <laughs> I, it's been, it's been a moment, but I feel like it's, it, in some ways it was necessary. Like it, we needed it. We needed it to be able to really come together collectively to say what is essential to us. I agree with so many of the things you said and you know, that essential time to stop and rebalance, I think is one of those things that are necessary to take place. I mean, the world needs to reset in a lot of ways. And I think one of the beautiful things about it was when all of the images was coming out about how the globe itself, how mother earth was healing just because of the reduction of pollution that was taking place. So I really hope people remember that that when we go out there, that we're not making things worse because of the overexcitement of getting back out in the world. You know, right. I think we really got to be careful. And uh, so I think there was a lot of amazing things that you said. And, you know, considering the times and what's going on through these, these quarantine moments, I mean, it's not just quarantine, it's Black Lives Matter. And, uh, you know, all of the things in between of, of people's mental health and well-being. So it is definitely almost feels like the creator is challenging human race in its entirety, how are we going to handle the the hardest, most difficult times of our lives? And how are we going to find those solutions? Because maybe that's part of the way of the creator testing us and pushing us to this limit is like, we need those type of solutions now fast and immediately. Yeah. So yeah, really interesting to, to share your perspective. And as we, as we journey here in this no blueprint podcast featuring Jace, uh, tell us a little bit about where you're from. And like, where did you grow up? <laughs> this is the hardest question I ever get asked. Thanks for asking it, Dakota. <laughs> um, yeah, this is the question that pains me. It's the hardest question for me to answer. Um, where do I belong? Where am I from? So hard. Um, so why is that? Um, I was raised in military household. Um all my parents were in the military. I say that because there was divorce in the family and remarriages. And um, that that initially was the reason why we did a lot of moving. Um, my mom was stationed in Labrador. Uh, I was supposed to be born there. Uh, last minute decision to move uh, me out of Labrador and not birth me there. We'd, I don't have details on why that was, but... Um, I ended up being born in Peterborough, Ontario, um, and I stayed there for a little bit of time. I have no connection to that land. Uh, my family um, traditionally originates from northern Manitoba, which is where we connect. Um, but I haven't been there uh, since I was a young girl, so I don't really think it's fair to say I'm from there because I've never you know, um, live there. I, I don't have stories there. I, that's not where I had community. I spent most of my kind of perf like most impactful years as a youth on Vancouver Island and that land shaped me. That's where I feel belonging most of all. Um, but even there I moved quite a bit. Um, so I've moved 27 times in my 32 years. Um, so where do you belong? Where are you from? Like, that's really difficult. And then through change multiple times in my life, um, 
So like, who am I is even hard to answer sometimes. Uh, and what do I answer to you? Like, nobody calls me JC Lynn because nobody can say it. Uh, so from a young girl, I always just said like, ah, you can just call me Jace actually. And then kids did. Um, and so, you know, I've had people joke, like, are you in the CIA? Cause like, you don't know where you're from. You don't know which name to answer to. And you have all these different aliases. Uh, and then that's difficult within the indigenous context because where you're from and what your last name is, is so important to who you are and how people get to know you and how we introduce ourselves, um, that that's not ever been easy for me. Um, that's the answer. Wow. 27 places. You know what that makes me think of actually? Hmm. There was a moment where, you know, I'm from Winnipeg and then I spent a lot of my early days as like a young kid with my mother and my father when they were together they would bring me to and from our first nation community in ocean man so that always is like home away from home away in a way for me um i also have like family in west bank first nation in bc mm, cool. so I, I love going out there and Kelowna is beautiful um and then now i'm here in ottawa right and there was a moment where i was just on the powwow trail and i was doing some performances so i was moving around a lot and i was like thinking like how come I don't necessarily feel excited to go back to Ottawa? I was like, does that not feel like home for some reason? I started thinking about these things. Right. And when I hear your story about 27 places, it reminds me of a moment that clicked for me. I'm like, Justin, Mother Earth is your home. Yes. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter yeah. where you are. Mother Earth is going to take care of you. Mother Earth is going to nurture you. So that kind of gave me a sense of like freedom in a way. So hearing your story of 27 places kind of, reminded me of that journey. It, uh, it's so interesting you said that. I, I was given that gift by Erin Dixon last year and she said, like, you're an indigenous woman. You're home anywhere your feet are on the land. Like that's yes. home, that's where belonging is for you. You're gonna find that anywhere you go. Um, and so, yeah, that, that really helped me change my paradigm in my head because I always thought um, I, I didn't belong anywhere, that there wasn't a place that I could say was mine and then in a lot of ways like I don't want to feel that ownership over place either right. um you know I I do feel like I'm a guest everywhere you know mm. in in some respects so yeah that's that's a huge shift for me that has taken a lot of anxiety away and then Kiana Alexander really helped me too because she's been studying belonging from an indigenous perspective as well so I had to I had to learn everything I could from her and she talks about belonging without bounds. Mm. And I was like, oh, right. add that part on the end. And all of a sudden it's okay because it means you can belong anywhere and everywhere. Um, and, you know, that to those two things together have provided so much healing for me. Amazing. So with your traveling, do you have a favorite place that you were that you have some of your favorite memories or experiences from? Yeah, um, there's uh, Souk, First Nation, um, is a place where I spent a lot of time and where I did some teaching as well. So I'm an elementary school teacher by training. I never really taught in an elementary wow. school. It always ended up being middle school and high school and then outside of the education system. But um, there was a, a moment for me there where I was just like, if I belonged anywhere, it was here. This, this feels like a place where I could have literally have been born and raised because I felt so much connection to the community and, and the work that we were doing and the youth um, that I felt like a member of that community without a doubt. Mm. Um, and then again, it was just, I all my learning and my growing up was on the land. Like that's where I spent all my time. Um, that's how I spent, you know, where, where I spent time with my friends is in the bush and uh, at the ocean and salmon fishing. And um, that's a place where I feel so much calm. And that's the kind of signal I look for, for that sense of home um, and belonging is that calm. Um, and now I'm living in Ottawa. Um, I don't feel that calm. Mm. <laughs> I don't feel that <laughs> at all. Um, and I never did when I first moved here either. Um, eventually I ended up, um, connecting and, and finding, you know, friends and a bit of a network here. And I feel much more settled than I ever did, but it took a very long time. Um, mm. 
and I couldn't help but just compare. Um, and I think maybe that's just the, you know, the reality of the life I've lived is like every other place is the last place you called home. So the place you're in is usually never home. Um, and I was like, I got to change that. Like I'm living in the past. I'm not being present. Um, and maybe I'm not allowing myself to truly connect to what is available to me here because I'm comparing it so often to Mm. what was, you know, makes sense. Um, I kind of feel the same, like I've never, it took me a long time. I'm relating to what you're saying about settling in Ottawa. I've been here since 2010 and it, I would say it took like at least three years to feel some type of comfort in this feeling like home. And I don't know if that was just because of the busy go, go, go lifestyle of trying to find work and, you know, build a, build a home for yourself. I bought my place eventually, like just nonstop moving. Um, and I think I've taken solace in like realizing how important family becomes mm. when you're not feeling like where you are is home, where it's like, when I pick up the phone and talk to my sister and my dad, I feel at home again, or I feel understood. I feel I can relate. And all those things is almost, um, can be in some ways equivalent to your relationship to the land. Does it feel comfortable? Can you relate? So it's been, it's been an interesting journey. So I just relate to you on that, that front about Ottawa. Well, and like, you know, it's, it's kind of obvious why we don't feel the belonging here. This is the center of colonization, right? Oh man. It's it, we weren't designed to to feel belonging here. Um, Right. And, and the more I, I like wake up to that, um, I I like laugh about it. I was like, well, duh, (laughs) of course you're never going to feel right here. You weren't designed to feel right here. Um, You know, um, and especially like when you're in that downtown core and every building is designed to kind of overcome you with its ever present reminder of government. Mm. Um, Yeah. Um, But to your point, family is is where I find homeness and and how I overcome that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That is a great reminder. And you know, it's funny because this whole COVID and quarantine and Black Lives Matter, um, it actually has helped me think more about, well, what should society look like or what could society be? And having some of these incredible conversations on this series, I'm going to highlight Andrew Menard. Um, You know, the rise of the sacred feminine is to me becoming more and more of like what I I strive for, what I hope to, you know, see and witness and take place in my lifetime, at least. And what I'm really trying to say is I can't wait for the day that the patriarch is replaced by the matriarch. You know, like what would how would society be reflected if women were in positions of leadership? Mm -hmm. Um, So what is what is your, I guess, perspective on women leadership? Um, well, let's look at the evidence, right? And if we think back to COVID, what countries are doing the best right now? Those that are run by women. Um, I, I, it's hard because like, I don't think it ever helps, um, to, to make it a binary, um, conversation of men against women. Um, because I think we're much beyond the binary, um, view of gender. However, um, when we aren't all at the table and we're not considering everybody's view on the world, which women by design had been cut out of those decision-making opportunities for so long by so many different societies. Um, It's time, as Tira Fraser would say, (laughs) it's time. (laughs) The hashtag rematriate because we need women to use their voice um, and to invest in the things that we care about um, to to bring back that balance. Um, you know, I've, I, the word balance and scale is so ever present for me right now. It's something that I just keep circling around because remember I work in tech. Everything is about how does this scale and scale, Mm. scale, scale, and let's 10 X everything. We're in such a huge hustle culture Mm. that I'm like, okay, but let's think about the word scale, you know, um, scales are also balances, right? you know, a scale. Um, we need both of those things. You can't just up into the right forever. You're literally building yourself on a mountainside, like the hustle and the exhaustion we all feel is because we're trying to maintain this ridiculous slope. Um, something falls off the back of that. 
Um, and I think if we bring our women back to the table, we're going to see scale, but in its oldest definition, in my opinion, of the word in, in balance. And it won't be so much about up until the left or right, sorry. It'll be about how long can we sustain this mm. um, in perpetuity, you know? Um, that's where I want the conversation to go. And I think adding women to the conversation will bring it there. I love that. And you know what? You're reminding me of something that I've learned about matriarchs is that, you know, you bringing up the point about non-binary, you know what I'm saying? And that's such a, a valid point. And I think the beauty about matriarchy is that's part of the equation is yeah. that matriarchs know that va the value of men is relevant for balance to take place and for societies to to grow and achieve. So I think when I'm like advocating for matriarchs, it may come across as if, um, you know, it is binary conversation, but it's really not if you understood matriarchy. That's right. That's right. And, but that's how the conversation always gets centered. It, we operate so much on this scarcity model, right? Um, and I, I'd have to say, like, because of our experience, you know, Indigenous folks are perhaps the worst perpetrators of the scarcity thinking of that if if we bring women into the equation it must mean at the cost to men um, and I know you don't believe that but I think when people hear that it's like the defund the police it doesn't mean we can't have police at all it means they just don't need a hundred million dollar budget you know but we take everything in these yes on or off it's on or off it's black or white it's but it's that balance it it's non-binary you know it's um but we never get to have that part of the conversation because we're still trying to bring the idea forward. So people are only hearing that like little clip um, and we don't get what's on the other side of what does it mean to be in a uh, matrilineal society? You never get to the full answer of it. It's so true. And I love that you bring up matrilineal societies and um, it just reminds me of like some of my upbringing and not realizing until my later days, like my adult years now where this conversation is being ha held more often, where I was like, why is it that I feel so comfortable around women? Like, why is it I have more female relationships than I do male relationships? And I was having a just a brief conversation with a friend the other day and that kind of came up again. And I was reminded that even when I was hanging around my dad, so my father figure in my life, he actually coached a lot of female soccer teams. And so when I was hanging out with my dad and he wanted me to be there to like learn and I was a huge soccer player growing up. But again, like all these, these women were like, you know, saying how cute I am and just making friends. And when we go hang out at, at like family dinners or sport dinners, it's like, they all know, we all know each other. So we're all hanging out and it's like relatives in a way. Mm -hmm. So this matrilineal society that we've been referring to, I feel has been normal for me for so long. Like even in my, my family history of my grandmother and my, my auntie being chief right now, that's always been normal for me. I got so many female aunties and even my cousins are mostly female. So I'm just bringing this up where it's like, I always found it interesting with this conversation and me having to reflect as well. Like, well, what, is, what does that mean? And then just realizing that's kind of how indigenous people have lived you know, since time immemorial, it's just now it's on the forefront. Now it's a conversation we should have. So I'm just so pro rise of the sacred feminine. Shout out to Andrew Munard. Yeah. And, you know, I see you as a leader. I see you as a leader in so many different aspects, uh, watching you, um, you know, public speak and even on your blog and stuff like that. It's incredible. So I wanted to ask your perspective on female leadership for sure. Thank you. So just to take us back a little bit, when did you start learning about your identity and who you are as like a human being? When did that start for you? Too late. Mm. Um, yeah, that, so my story is like, I'm a late blooming half breed. I didn't find out about my indigeneity until I was in my teens uh, when my grandma died. Um, she hid that from my mom. It wasn't talked about. Um, it was a lot of pain. All the intergenerational trauma showed up. Um, and it wasn't until she was getting sick that she started to say some of these things to me. And then I would start to see things in a new light where I was like, oh, that explains. And this makes it that now I know, you know, I, I'd been living the 
reality of what it meant to be somebody whose family was part of the residential school system. And I didn't know why my life was the way it was. The worst time in your life to find out you don't know who you are is when you're in your teens trying to Mm -hmm. figure out exactly who you are. So that was earth shattering and yet um, the best gift I've ever been given um, was for her to share that with me before she passed. Um, It created a lot of awkward conversations because um, nobody wanted to talk about it. Um, But it was something that I remember just feeling like, oh, like I know myself now. This explains something. There was an unmet gap I had in my life. I couldn't have told you I had it until it was brought in. And I was like, that's what's been missing is like, I didn't, again, like I didn't know where I belonged. I didn't know where I was from. I didn't have that information. We didn't, we didn't have, you know, uh, it just, we didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about a lot of things, um, you know, that you would think a healthy family would because they were all laced in pain. Um, So that didn't happen for me until then. And when I entered university, that was really when I gave myself permission to really explore what does it mean to be Indigenous and how do I connect and how do I bring that into my life um, and and give myself permission to do that. Um, I did that a lot by working in community. So I always gravitated to working with Indigenous students in my work. I think now I know why, but I didn't know that even in my, as a volunteer, as a young girl, like I, that's where I, that's where I went. That's where I was gravitated towards. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's when I found out. Um, and I really wanted it to change the cycle. Like I was like, wait a second, like we are never going to look at this as a point of shame ever fucking again. Mm. Pardon my language. Not so okay. You're um, and I knew that like my biggest life goal, um, since I was very young was I wanted to be a healthy mom for at least one little kid and give them a blessed upbringing, um, full of love and without the pain, knowing full well who they were. Uh, and I knew I had to put that work in for myself. So I talk about it as if I've been on a journey of reconciliation, mm-hmm. uh, that I got really serious about, um, about six years ago when I was getting closer to knowing I wanted to start my own family. And I knew that I'd left the hard parts behind. Like I did all the easy stuff first. Um, but I hadn't tackled a lot of the intergenerational trauma and, um, and it, Honestly, it came at such a weird way of like preparing a talk about um, indigenous reality. And I was going through the data and I was like, I am this data. That that was like, holy, I didn't even know how many things that I've experienced in my lifetime is reflected in how we are discussed in data sets mm. um, that I got really angry um, and really vocal and finally started telling my truth to everyone I could. I could, And I knew that that was the healing. Like I was still as much pride and connections I was making. I was still very private about it because I didn't know if I'd earned the right to talk about my indigeneity, having not you know been raised in culture. Um, and community. And then, um, I didn't know if it would bring harm and I didn't want it to be a, a limiting factor. And then I worked in a workplace where I brought it up and I was like, Hey, like, this is really who I am. This is why I want to do this work. And I was told I wasn't indigenous enough to be, you know, in that space. Um, you know, and I'm assuming it's because I, don't, um, I'm, I'm white passing and, um, you know, I'm, I'm not always wearing beads and feathers and, you know, looking like a stereotypical poster child for the community, which is what that organization was looking for. And, um, so I've really done a, a lot of work in this and I have to share my story because I was desperate to hear someone else talk about this. Um, so I could be permitted to feel okay about my reality. Um, and so enoughness, am I indigenous enough? Um, you know, uh, where am I from? Uh, all of that belonging enoughness has been real core to the things that I do talk about when I'm, uh, engaging with people. Uh, and 
where I feel I'm at now is that I've given myself permission to be just enough um, and to be in this sense of um, continual development. I'm a teacher, so I'm always going to be like that, but I'm never going to reach a, a maximum where I'm like, now you're indigenous, you know, right, like right. that, that is, that's life work. Um, and it, it, it can always, um, be built upon, um, in how you carry yourself and the values you hold and all of that. Um, so like, again, it's not binary, it's not black and white, it's not on and off. Um, and it can always grow and be approved upon. Um, so it's just enough, uh, and I am enough. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's your reality is just enough to be the thing that's necessary, necessary. Um, and now I see it cause I'm an indigenous woman working in a non-indigenous workplace that, you know, in a lot of ways, although my journey was really hard and not what I would have chosen for myself, it prepared me to be doing the work that I'm doing today. And I couldn't have got there, um, without that struggle. Um, yeah, yeah. well said. You're, you're like, one of the things that I couldn't help but reflect on is, is like, I didn't, when you said the beginning of that answer is like too late, mm. you know? And I feel I can relate to you because I didn't really like my mom always did what she could to teach me. But when you're a young person, you know, exploring life, you're not really paying attention to identity. Um, mm. my personally anyway. So there was a moment where I got hired for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada's first national event in like 2008 or nine. And I was sports tank coordinator um, for their event, the first national event in Winnipeg. And I had to do research on like athletes and their experience in residential school. And, you know, I always knew my grandmothers all attended residential school. So I was really curious to learn. But my point that I'm making here is like, I couldn't help but be reminded of how angry I felt about learning that part of who like that history and then it clicked for me when I started doing these public presentations in schools and and uh, sharing music in high schools and doing that education piece was like it, it became clear where we have to be careful about a lot of what we're sharing of that history because I feel like what gets misconstrued is that's not who we are right that's what was done to us. That's right. So I love this opportunity to talk with you because in this moment, having this conversation with you, it's reminding me of the resilience of our people and you're part of that resurgence where, you know, when people want to think about indigenous people, they can refer to the no blueprint and look at all these incredible leaders and incredible successful people. And you're changing that you're making it look so incredible. The work that you've done, the contributions you've made to innovation and tech and all of the amazing accomplishments you've done for Shopify. Like I said, Shopify won't be the same without you. And so I find like it's so important to acknowledge the work that you're doing and that I hope people start to identify that as part of that historical context of indigenous people is we're beautiful, resilient, our culture is here for, for all walks of life. And I just wanted to really make that point that a lot of the things that got us upset, it was like, not until later that I realized, well, that's what was done to us, but who are we as a people and how do we fit in that greater sense of purpose or how do we wanna make the future so a better place? So I wanted to ask you as a follow-up, how do you manage your mental health and how do you find balance in your life? I'm a work in progress. Um, I failed at that most of my life. I thought um, if I ignored my pain, um, that was healthy. And um, no one knew that there was trauma in my life until I was about 17 years old. No one knew, not my mom, not, I kept everything that ever happened to me completely a secret. Um, and so balancing mental health really started for me when I spoke my truth the first time and I felt relief and I realized that there's love and belonging with yourself still, even when the truth is out there. I think that was what I was most afraid of is like, would I be dejected and, you know, um, wasn't done to you or it was done to you. It's not who you are. Like exactly. that part was really hard for me to understand until I took the risk and, and told people. Um, 
but then you end up in a place where you think you've got it because now you're talking about it, but it doesn't mean you're actually managing the pain. Um, and then often too, you, um, you're asked to talk about it a lot. Um, and you don't realize how exhausting that is. Um, and especially now, like no offense, <laughs> um, when you're doing it online and you're not even present with people, right? Like you're, you're spewing all of this stuff out all the time. It's exhausting. Um, and I, I didn't realize that part. And so I've burnt out. I've literally blacked out, fell over, burned out um, on more than one occasion uh, and knew that. Um, well, actually, you want to know who helped me through this. It's Andrea Menard. Wow. She gave me permission at the Indigenous Women's Leadership Summit um, that Lori Nicole organized for the first time to let the pain through you, uh, to not hold on to it. And I, at the time, had was going through three different cancer scares. They didn't know where it was in my body. Um, and I remember just thinking like, well, yeah, but this stress has got to go somewhere, you know? And if I'm just repressing, repressing, and repressing, it's literally showing up in cystic tissues in all aspects of my body mm. um, that I was like, I can't do this. I, I, I won't achieve the things I want in life if this is how I'm going to manage pain. So uh, I do a lot of specific work around this, uh, counseling, podcasts, books, hard conversations with people that needed to hear the truth that I hadn't told the truth to. Um, and, and now, um, and it's, I credit COVID, um, it's about managing my time. And so I've started to put myself first. I've heard the advice, like, you got to put your own oxygen mask on. And I remember thinking like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also wouldn't do that as mom. I would be putting my gear on my girl for us. I know that. I think the same uh, way. <laughs> I'm like, no. Nah. But uh, I was like, what would happen if I did put myself first? Why are you resisting it so much was the question I asked myself. Like, why do you think you know better than every piece of advice the professionals are giving you? Um, and so when COVID struck, I was like, if I don't create the life I want, I am never going to have the life I want. No one is going to mail it to me. It's not going to show up on my door. And Toby at Shopify is not going to institute it for me tomorrow. I have to be the one to do this. So that has changed my life significantly. Um, and so what does that look like? That looks like when I wake up in the morning, I put, well, coffee first. <laughs> coffee first. Um, and I put in a workout, um, and that investment in myself to literally like take care of my body and like give myself that hour to just focus on my breath. And, and yoga has really helped me focus on my breath. I, I don't even think I was, I knew how to breathe. Um, you know, I was just like constantly ready to get working on the next thing. I was never taking a breath. I was never, um, celebrating. I was just piling on the next thing because I felt like I had to, to just keep racing. Um, that I was like, you know what, I cannot manage that any longer, or I'm going to black out, break, break down again. Um, and so it's an hour in the morning and I do it with my partner, Dustin. So this is like how we can commit to a healthy relationship and building each other up and like keeping each other sane and goal oriented. That's a healthy goal. And like, not just Netflix binging upon, you know, episode upon episode. And then I spend time with my daughter and that allows me to get to work knowing I invested in my priorities, what's essential to me, my health, my family, my happiness. And then I'm not so angry or upset or, you know, pissed off if something doesn't go well at work because I've already taken care of it. I'm bringing my best self to the job. I have way less hours in my day now because of how I've set up my mornings, but those are my best hours. Um, so I wanted my family to have them. I didn't want them getting six o'clock post commute burned, burned out mm. days done Jace. And that's all they were getting. Wow. Um, and I, and that had to go. Um, and so I've heard lots of advice, you know, you, the best you get four great hours in a day to be productive. And Toby has said that at Shopify a number of times, like, give me your best four hours, work anywhere, anytime. Like you do, you just commit to the things you're going to commit to and get it done. Um, and I was like, I'm taking permission to put that into practice. And I will, I, I hope like my biggest fear right now actually is that I'll lose this in some point in time, but um, it has been the, 
I've never been healthier or happier, despite the fact that we are dealing with race wars and pandemics and total systems failure all around. Um, but I was like, I have to be the CEO of my own happiness, you know, and no one is going to like show up uh, at my doorstep with all the answers other than myself. So that's, that's what I've been doing. It's incredible. You know, that idea of self-love is so important. And, you know, I recently have taken the journey of going plant-based and vegan. Cool. Um, it's been a challenge. Like I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm full plant-based vegan. I do it like Monday to Friday. And okay. then I can eat whatever I want on the weekend. On yeah, I can have my <laughs> cheat days. But I must say, I was reflecting when you're sharing, like when I started taking, making the commitment, um, I would say early January, I would say I started like even late November. Um, but January is when I started to notice, you know, some, some differences in my life. And I took, I made a commitment to myself to like work out every day and yeah. to eat plant-based and I even had a fasting day every Sunday. So I didn't eat, I didn't eat anything for 24 hours. Yeah. And the health that I became, the healthy version of myself that I became was part of my healing as well in the sense of some of the depressive things that I was going through in my life as well. So hearing you share made me reflect on how important that is. And I feel like sometimes it's maybe um, articulated in a certain way that may not be able to see the true value of health and nutrition and the benefits that that can have on your life. So I think, you know, I just want to kind of reiterate that taking care of yourself and working out, coming up with a plan, eating good can help you on your recovery, can help mm -hmm. you on your healing journey and mm -hmm. make you feel better about yourself. So mm -hmm. I think that's really important. That's it. That's it. And it's nobody's responsibility, but ours. We don't usually get a lot of education and teaching in this because it doesn't come in public school, you know, it, we don't practice it enough. We don't talk about it enough. And we overemphasize hustle culture. Well, hustle culture will remind you, you don't have time to cook. You have to go to McDonald's because remember you're putting in 40 hours plus a commute each way. Like you need this and we'll make your life easier. Like we've been sold the idea we can't take care of ourselves and that everything else is a better solution if we just pay $7.99 for two can dine. Like yeah. we have been sold that. Um, right, true. And, and when you have a kid suddenly like you're like what am i eating and where did this come from and who's profiting off this thing i'm about to put ah. in my toddler's hands um and like i don't think that way for me but i do for her and like that was like lights on new worlds we went top to bottom through our house and looked at every single thing we owned and it was like where did this come from and why is it in my house and who sold it to me and why did they sell me this um, and it was like, it was a, a complete up, upheaval of everything we were doing. Our whole system has changed what we buy, how we buy it, where it comes from, how we process it. Um, it was a lot of work through that. Like it took us a long time. We're still on that journey of like converting things over. Um, and I think we'll always be doing that because you, the more, you know, the more you come to know, like, um, but it. It has been the way I think about decolonizing myself um, and the things that I can take uh, into my own hands and my own action to do the work uh, that I'm hoping a system will do. And, and like, I do hope for that, um, but I'm not going to wait for it. And, and you, you know, you can do it. And, and so now I'm the lead for indigenous entrepreneurs, right? So I, I am connected in a way that most people aren't um, to what is available to procure um, from indigenous folks. And so it was like, okay, how do I create the biggest change and commitment to the work that I'm doing? How do I live that out loud? Well, I was going to only buy and shop indigenous. Um, haven't been able to go all the way on that, but, you know, any chance I can to change out my soap, you know, to buy my greeting cards from, you know, tribal trade instead of Hallmark, I'm doing that. Um, and the way I think about that and what I speak to people on so much, especially outside of the Indigenous community about why it's so important to shop ind Indigenous is that every dollar is a vote. It's a vote for the world we want. And either we can put that dollar into Jeff Bezos' Amazon piggy bank or we can put that money into our own community um, and you'll see it. Even the places you never thought you'd see it, you know, 
you don't think you're going to find health food at Walmart, but the world wants it. And now you buy health food at Walmart if you choose to, you know, or if that's all you, where you can shop from. But like, um, the people that own the system, they know where we're putting our money. Um, and so if we're intentional about that, uh, we're going to see a rise in it. Um, and then we won't need, need the other people because we're just putting the value where we find the value, uh, and keeping that in flow. So it has been a very intentional uh, process for us and for me, especially to think about it as a decolonization practice. That's incredible. Like, you know, you're making me think so many things and just considering our times uh, decolonization of your diet is so important on your healing journey, which will result into a better successful career in whatever it is you're doing, whether that's personal life or professional. Um, So that's a really important point to make and the other point that i wanted to highlight in what you said is like you're not going to wait for it we don't have to wait for society to change we can be the change right now and you know when you said if if we're we shop indigenous what we're doing is helping build indigenomics and if you look at history we actually were better off during the fur trade time. I read a book called Clearing the Plains. Mm. And that was a time of like contact and a lot of fur trade and trapping and stuff like that. But we were better off when we worked amongst these, ourselves and our own nations, like trading amongst ourselves. We had a better economy and we were healthier as a result. So shop indigenous. I'm, I just want to highlight you know, that's a that's a huge way to decolonize and create indigenomics for people, which will add to the rise of indigenous people in society. So that's right. very much encouraging that. And talking about all this incredible like future and, and the, th- the things that we can do and solutions being solution orientated. What people may not know about Jace is that she's also an artist. So tell me, tell us, who is Jace the artist? That, that is also where I protect my mental health and invest in myself is I pick up a paintbrush. Um, I think that was always an escape. Um, and like the fact that I could manifest something um, for myself um, as a young girl, there was magic in that. Um, I would spend my time doodling on anything I could doodle with or, you know, get my hands on. Um and it's a, I have a love hate relationship with my art. You know, my partner Dustin will tell you, I do not paint nearly enough. He's always on me. He's been the best cheerleader on that. Um, the best gift I was ever given is when I first moved to Ottawa and met him. I didn't have any of my art supplies with me. I, when I left Victoria, I left with nothing. And um, that was the best gift is he, he stocked me up with art supplies. Like I had no excuse. Um and, and so often it's animals that end up in the work that I do. A lot of polar bears, uh, a lot of, um, a lot of Northern animals. Like, uh, right now I'm working on a bison painting, um, and it just started to emerge. Um, and then at the same time, we got the story about how the first bison has been born yes. in native territory since colonization and they killed off all of our buffalo to try and kill off us and I was like holy shit here I am painting this buffalo um and like he was literally like emerging through these grasses and the story's coming into fruition so it's just so a place where I can kind of work out some creative tension I do a lot of deep thinking when I paint um I've had a couple of moments of like notoriety when it comes to my art, which are kind of funny and most people don't know about, but um, I've only ever sold one piece of art. Wow. And uh, I was 15, I think. There was a community art project. Um, it's called Orcas in the City. And you got to kind of uh, design and create a eight foot fiberglass uh, orca whale. And uh, I pitched this competition as a kid. I was the only kid that did it um, and the only kid to make it into the competition, which was kind of cool. And my uh, whale sold for the third highest amount at $15,500 when I was 15. I was kind of like, I don't know where I'd go from here. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to cool it. And I've never (laughs) sold art again. I hated the process of who bought that whale I didn't like it it I felt like I gave over myself when I sold Mm. um it felt like a loss uh like I had just given away you know my my kid to someone else to take over and I didn't like it so I was like I don't know if I'll ever sell 
art again, and I haven't. Um, but then um, a beautiful jeweler named Kajuk and I had a great conversation about this. And he said, you know, it's your design. You own that. You'll always own that. You manifest it. You created it. That's yours forever. And no one will be able to touch your design. Mm. Um, so, you know, you own that forever. You keep that. And then you can sell like the, the, uh, copies of these things, you know, right. you can keep the original and sell the print. And I was just like, Oh, <laughs> that's simple, huh? <laughs> like <laughs> it was so obvious, but it like, I needed that. And, uh, and so I'm curious about it, but I also have a tendency to try and turn all my passions into a business. And I ask myself now, why am I doing that? Um, and so I think I'm going to maintain the artist for me and it's not for public sale because I don't want to sell everything I do. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm really trying to work. Why is that the, the thing we're, we're all doing right now? Um, so yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I love that. It's a journey. Like, I didn't even know that until I was on your website, just browsing around. I was like, wow, she's an artist too. You know what I mean? Like just such an incredible array of talent, skill, capacity, ability to create impact. And I think that's why I was really encouraging us to use the word influencer on our marketing and promotion is I really feel like you've influenced my life personally, just in your support and your encouragement, but the impact you've made on in public with Shopify and you know, Turtle Island, indigenous uh, women entrepreneurs and all these incredible community spaces you've delivered presentations and, and public speaking, you've made an incredible impact and you've influenced people's lives. And I wanted to really compliment you and say that I, I admire how well of an author you are at telling your own story. And so if I may, I wanted to bring up one of the quotes that you shared on your blog. It's one of your older blogs that you posted. Uh, what did I say to a room full of entrepreneurs at Adventure Spark Fest? So I took a, a, an excerpt. So I'm going to read it directly. So forgive me for using my notes here, but I was really hoping that you would expound on it. So you said, you are the outcome of your consequences. Dare you make them good ones. Use data to prove it. That's what's going to make the hard parts worth it. That's what will get investors to invest, customers to adopt. I guarantee you will live a full life of growing the work you do. And I just felt that was an incredible depiction of purpose. Mm. So if you don't mind, expound on what you were articulating there. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that's a great little reminder. Um, that was a cool event. It was a youth event and youth are showing up on a Friday night to pitch their ideas. And, you know, we get sold this idea that we need to figure out what we're going to do in life so early on um, and work towards it. And I, I just want us to be really critical about what are we working towards, you know? Um, and it's so easy to chase the money and the notoriety or the title. And I'm guilty of that. Like I, I was not always, um, as clear about what it was that I was actually searching for. So I went down that path too. Um, but I do believe that you're the consequences of your actions, um, not the product of your circumstance. I have to believe that because I'm trying to break a cycle and be that change for myself. And on the other side of that belief is the outcomes of the work. And I don't believe it's enough to have good intentions. You have to also know what is unintentionally happening because of whatever it is you are contributing to the world. So you got to measure it and you, you got to be aware of what might be happening. The butterfly effects you're creating um, with whatever you're doing. And so these youth showing up on a Friday night, I'm like, you clearly care because you wouldn't be in this room if you weren't but you might not know the importance of the data to back up the impact that you're having um, and know to measure these things and to measure what has happened before you uh, start this journey, right? Like collect that baseline data to prove your impact um, so that no one can take that away from you. You can argue it without refute, you know? And um, I wish I had that lesson so much earlier on in life mm. Um, and I'm very cautious about our willingness to just assume positive intent because I don't think our people, um, 
I think we've earned the right not to assume positive intent. Um, mm. So the clearer you can be about what your intentions are, what you're trying to build, how your business might have an impact um, and can then articulate that with any kind of data, you know, um, the more powerful your business will be. And, and no one can argue with that. Um, and that's what investors are looking for. Um, that's what I think buyers are looking for, especially now. People want to know that whoever they're procuring from isn't evil, <laughs> like just to uh, simply put it. Um, and so how do you prove that you're not? You know, you got to measure that. Um, and if if we all are um, clearer about it, what we're trying to achieve, uh, we'll start measuring the things that matter most. Mm, amazing. I encourage anybody to go to jaceactually.com check out her blogs. I promise you it's therapeutic. You'll learn something incredible. So thank you for sharing that, Jason. Thank you for sharing your art, at least on your website. You know, at least you're sharing that part of you, I think is, is so admirable. Um, so one of the questions I wanted to really ask you is, is what does success mean to you? Mm. Well-being. Uh, success once upon a time meant that, okay, so I could order a pizza anytime I want. That was one of the first definitions of success, <laughs> uh, just to be real. Uh, I've matured and grown up a little bit, although I'm still pretty stoked that I can order pizza anytime I want. So that still feels like success a little bit, but, That's awesome. <laughs> um, success also was a beamer. My uncle was my definition of success. He was super, um, he was one of the first and only people in our family to go to university. I would be the first and only woman um, after him. And he was what I idolized and I saw it in his material objects. So once upon a time, success meant that. Doesn't mean that to me anymore. Um, I wanna know that what I'm doing is something that I will be proud to hear my daughter talk about one day. Um, a lot of, because of the experiences my mom lived through, she wasn't really available for me and she didn't get to have a lot of experiences in life. So her parenting was very much about would have, should have, and could have, and you ought to, and must do. And, you know, um, I wanted to be able to teach my daughter from lived experience to say, you can achieve anything. Look what I did. Um, and it doesn't have to be the same thing I do, but I want you to believe in yourself enough to go and do it and try that thing out. So success for me is like, I'll have a little girl, no longer little, with the confidence to go and pursue whatever it is she desires most and know that it was because her mom led by example um, that she felt permissed to go and carve out that life for her. And that throughout that journey, we will have health uh, and happiness. And I've really come to be very um, particular about no longer talking about business success. Um, and it's business well-being. And mm. the Maori do this. This is where I've learned this. The Maori and New Zealand now has adopted this model right into their government. Um, and I think it's profound leadership to have done this. But we still live in a world where countries determine their success by how much they produce and sell and the money that, that comes with that. But I don't care about how much Canada produces and sells. Like, I want to know, are our people in homes? Are we educated? Are we happy? Are we healthy? You know, do we have relationship and belonging? Um, do we have equitable access to those services? That's how I want our country to measure our success. And that's how New Zealand's doing it. That, that is in their financial um, budget is happiness and well-being that if those things aren't achieved they don't give a shit how much they're producing and sending out into the world and i think that is what the future needs more of and so i any chance i have to talk with an entrepreneur at any point in their journey is like to ask them that moment is like how are you measuring success because if it's only about how much money you're making it, it's like it's it's an exhausting pursuit because there can always be more. So as soon as right. you have 50,000, now it has to be 80,000. As soon as you have 80,000, it's got to be 100,000. And exactly. if you have 100,000, well, I need 350. It's like, do you? Or, right. you know, um, because if you have $350,000 coming to you, but you can't see your children, you haven't had a social outing where you've laughed in the last six months, are you successful? 
Um, and I don't mean that even if you're just running your own business, but if you're working for someone else too, right? Like we can still measure our well-being um, from a business perspective, whether we're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur um, working within someone else. So that for me is like, am I happy? When was the last time I laughed? Am I rested? Is my health being prioritized right now? That's, that's where success comes from for me. Success for JC Lynn Meyer is well-being. Whoa. And the Mari incorporate that into their financial budget. And now New Zealand has adopted countrywide. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. The leadership Whoa. Uh, I think in the world right now is coming from Aotearoa in New Zealand. Wow. I'm mind blown hearing that. I think the rest of the world needs to catch up to that. That's right. So here's and a real, yeah, please go ahead. Possible. It proves exactly. it's possible. Right. Because it's already been done. And we love to like take ideas once they've been proven out, which is why I say go go build your data sets. Right. The data is there now. It can be done. It can be done well. Like there's no excuse. Right. So I want to ask you two more questions before we wrap this up, yeah. um, because I'm really curious what your response is to the first one. But what can men do to support women in the professional career? in the community from Jace's perspective? Do what Dustin does. I have the best partner ever. Um, gonna get emotional. <laughs> but he believes in me. He champions me. He tells me not to quit. He pushes me out the door when I feel scared. He's the first person to text me before I walk on a stage and after I get off of it. Uh, he comes to those events. Uh, he tells his friends about the work that I'm doing. He has hard conversations with people that don't know better about Indigenous peoples and history um, as an ally. Um, he takes on so much in the house. There's no blue jobs and pink jobs in our house. Um, in fact, he's really dedicated his life to helping me uh, with the work that I do because he believes so strongly in it. And no one's ever done something like that for me, you know, and um It, I have said it before, and when you're committed like I am, you're better off alone than with a man that doesn't appreciate and value the work. And I've been in that relationship. So Meyer is a leftover from a previous relationship. That's not my last name. I just couldn't afford to, didn't have the time to fix, fix it. And I was, Jace actually everywhere anyways publicly so people didn't need that part um but you need to like i I've, i know how to walk away from a man that isn't actually an ally isn't there to be a truly supportive partner um and i know what that looks like now and i see that in my partner uh it's everyday actions it's it's him doing the daycare pickup and drop off so that i can be traveling um it's you know we everything is open and shared between us um from responsibilities you know to what i do at work and how i show up my ideas are where they're at because he's challenged them to be better and gave me that safe place to exercise saying it for the first time you know like um shopify should be paying him a salary too <laughs> Yo, for real <laughs> wow I'm, I admire that a lot. And I think we need more Dustin's in the world. Dustin's take over. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> but I really, um, there's so many thoughts that I think I might want to have with you off air about that. Um, cool. Because I do think a lot of our young men growing up need healthy male role models. And I think hearing your story about, you know, your, what your relationship with Dustin and how he's supporting you is what young men growing up need to realize will make a better community. And one of the things that you're also reminding me of is um, one of the things I said on stage one time that I didn't realize I said it in that way, but it was like, yo, for the men in the, in the room, or even the men who are listening right now, when we help support and, and build and lift our women up, we benefit from that. Right. In that order. So, I'm, I'm just congratulations and I'm, and want to give a big shout out to Dustin for being the man that men should be. Hmm. 
Thank so you. my last question is what does, what words of advice would Jace give to a younger version of herself, knowing what you know now? Wow. It's like, what did I need to hear? Yeah. That you belong anywhere you're on the land. Yes. <laughs> that you matter, that, you yes. know, like, um, mm. uh, it's not about the title. It'll never be about the title. The money won't heal anything. Um, it's a distraction. Um, trust your instincts. You know, believe in yourself. Leave relationships that aren't serving you. Um, and that's okay too, especially even if they're amongst family. Um, probably even more important. Um, and just to to do it without fear and to act in, to do it with love. Um, I did a lot of things to prove people wrong. Like the most motivational thing you can say to me is I can't do it. It's like, mm. <laughs> I'll show you. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's not acting out of love. Mm. Right. And so at the other side of that, it, it's gloating. It's, it's about, that person that still said that thing you couldn't do, it wasn't about you did it and mm. the love of her yourself and having experienced it. So like more acting out of love, I think. Um, I wish I, I need that lesson today, maybe. Mm -hmm. mm, nice. Perfect way to wrap this up. JC Lynn Meyer, Jace actually, officially. And I thank you again for joining us here. I'm so grateful. I feel closer to you as a result. And I'm so thankful for everything you shared with us here today. Um, thank you again for being present and for showing up and supporting this No Blueprint series, Jace. Appreciate you a lot. Thank you. And thank you for being the kind of man that gives a woman a platform and allows her to tell her story and speak her truth. And the questions you asked gave me permission to do that. Um, that's important. So um, glad, thank you. Um, really appreciate it. And I've always felt that support and that brother, um, you know, love from you. So it's a joy to be here. Uh, you don't need a blueprint. You can do it anyways, but these no blueprint stories are really helpful. So keep, keep this podcast going because I think more of us need to be telling our stories right now. Thank you again. Watch day and we'll catch up later.